I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's Let's go. These folks are like, where have they been? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) We're like, we're back. Oh, no, we're not. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, thank everybody for their patience. I will be completely honest. I had to take a mental health break, which I am extremely grateful for to have had Mm -hmm. some time off in the last uh, two weeks to decompress and focus on some well-being. And I'm back in a much better headspace. I even got some sleep. You did? Yes, I did. Oh, yeah, you do look kind of shiny. Not in a bad way, like in the the good way. <laughs> <laughs> Not greasy. Not greasy. Not greased up. It's amazing what can happen with a couple nights of consistent rest. Oh, my goodness. I love it. I love it. Well, um, I, I won't let you completely take all of it for us having a hiatus. It's been a really busy few weeks. For me, as you know, the most important of which being that my beautiful man child um, crossed the stage and received his high school diploma. Mm. That part was very exciting. Have a lot of family in town to celebrate that milestone. And um, I also, as you know, had the great honor of giving not one, but two commencement addresses yes. at bona fide medical schools that wouldn't have even given me an interview. So this is like, <laughs> like I didn't say that in my, my speech. I was like, look, I didn't even apply here. I think um, bo- both were very uniquely special, one of which was the University of Southern California, which is in my hometown. And um, just imagining myself being a commencement speaker. And I grew up off of Crenshaw Boulevard. I gave a shout out to Inglewood Public Schools and to my two HBCUs, Tuskegee and Meharry. And I was like the whole thing centered around rap music and the and <laughs> yes. the birth and rise of hip hop. So that was dope. And then the other one was at the University of Florida. And uh, to my knowledge, and I could be wrong, I don't think they've ever had a black woman as their as their commencement speaker at wow. the College of Medicine. Um, if I'm wrong, you know, somebody will correct me. <laughs> but either way, by then I felt emotionally strong enough to talk about my father. Mm-hmm. And um, that speech centered around my father and what I learned being with somebody that I love in the hospital. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast before. It was a really important moment and special moment. And I I didn't even cry. And that was the part that I'm absolutely completely stunned by because every time (laughs) I tried to practice it, I like started going into the tick cry, you know, but yeah. Yeah. So shout out to um, the Gators. I had to tell them I come in peace from Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, because that's SEC land. And, you know, my my Georgia Bulldog folk, they were not appreciating me taking my butt to Gainesville. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) So I actually also appreciate the break because it just allowed me some time to, to focus on these important pivotal events. Absolutely actually had a chance to watch that that uf commencement speech 
online. And I would highly encourage anybody else who's interested or, you know, is appreciative of your your wisdom to to check it out. It's on YouTube, right? People yep. can publicly yeah. view it. Mm-hmm. I actually posted it to to Twitter. So if you go look under my Twitter page, um, at Grady Doctor, most things that I post to um, YouTube, I have unlisted. So you can't just search them. If you search it on Twitter, you'll find it. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So any, any, any new things with you? You know, I have to re-review something that we've already talked about, um, which is Tabitha Brown's book, Feeding the Soul. Mm -hmm. Because when I find myself in a low place, which I did a couple weeks ago, like Mm -hmm. that book really like gets my soul back together. Mm -hmm. Particularly her talking through some of the stuff that she went through and just the mindset that helped her overcome um, Mm -hmm. some of her you know, darkest times, it it literally fed my soul. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can't recommend that book enough. And I have to say that Tabitha Brown narrating her own book is mm-hmm. is chef's kiss. It is like Tabitha has such a beautiful voice. And speaking of beautiful voices, narrating <laughs> their own books. Do you know where I'm about to go with this? Uh, is it Abraham Verghese? O-M- expletive G. I have been waiting for this book. I'm, I'm, I'm like picking the right moment, but Lord have mercy. Okay. Y'all <laughs> normally we try not to talk that long on this part, but I'm sorry. I have to take a little minute to um, put a kick, <laughs> kickstand down on this. Mm-hmm. So first of all, if you see the actual book, the book is, is massive. It's like, Oh, it's like 700 pages. It's a big book. Which means when you've got a big book like that and you try to put it onto audio, you're talking about a 30 plus hour commitment, right? Mm -hmm. So when I downloaded it into my library, I looked at it and I was like, all right, girl, are you ready to do this? Were you ready? From the first three sentences of listening to Abraham Verghese narrate this book, I was drawn in. His voice is absolutely sublime. Okay, why is it sublime? Well, one, it is set in in many places, but primarily in India. And for that reason, there are like, you know, words in the Malayalam language, which I could be saying wrong, forgive me if I am, but he has all the accents correct. He just describes things in ways that make it musical. There's a, a character that is Scottish and you can tell he did his homework and got that Scottish accent down. And, and then the other really interesting thing about the book, beyond the fact that the storytelling is awesome, it is a beautiful story that follows multiple generations. It centers on strong women being brave and doing amazing things and making hard choices. And not everything ends pretty. Like I would think about when my, my older son didn't enjoy the Harry Potter series because after book two, he said he always wins. <laughs> I don't want to read a book where somebody always wins. Mm. It's too predictable. I was like, wow, but there's a journey to him winning. He was like, I don't, he's going to win. Wow. And in in this book, everybody doesn't win, but there is so much love. It's so real because that's how life is. Like people don't always win, but love does win and love can be messy and complicated and look a lot of ways. Mm. And he just knocks that out of the park. So, so y'all as busy as I am with all that I just described that I have going on, Literally every second that I was not working on something or doing something with my family, every chance I had a chore, I was listening to this book. Five stars. Absolutely recommend. 
that means everybody listening to this podcast has to listen to this book or read it. Yeah, I remember reading Cutting for Stone, which is the last fiction piece or novel that Abraham Verghese wrote. And it's like one of a handful of books that I wish I could re-experience reading for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like the language and the imagery. I mean, it's just like, you know, he does it with surgical precision mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. brings you into a scene in a way that I could only dream of writing. Like. Mm-hmm. I would say that as a person who probably consumes audiobooks more voraciously than the average person, because I, I, ha- I consume a lot of, of audiobooks, for me to say that a narrator is extraordinary at narrating their own book, because sometimes um, author narrated books can be a disaster. <laughs> I mean, he like if he doesn't want to be a doctor, he could get him a second gig as, as a narrator mm-hmm. for, for audiobooks. It was the bomb. So yes, love it. All right. Shout out to Dr. Verghese. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Dr. Verghese for show. Well, well, the moment that we've actually been waiting for after a two-week <laughs> hiatus. I apologize, y'all. I know y'all have been thirsting for a Dr. Manning story. And here we are. And I am really excited to be able to sit back and ask you. What is the what? All right. Um, I was going to make you choose your own adventure, but that actually means that I would need to be a little more organized than I feel (laughs) at the moment. (laughs) There. So the what is loyalty. Loyalty. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The what is loyalty. And so this is kind of layered um, because, you know, full disclosure, y'all, it's just been a lot going on and I don't know that I have just a linear story. So, but these things will fit together. And I will start by mentioning one of my favorite people in the whole world, which is my late sister, Deanna. Mm-hmm. One thing about Deanna that everybody who knows her or who knew her say is if you have a problem with somebody Deanna loves, you have a problem with Deanna. Mm. Yeah, this was not, it was never gray. It was never like, well, you didn't do anything to me. It was very, very clear cut. Like you, you do something to my sister, to my friend, to whomever, then that's it. And so over the years, you know, I came to really look to her as a, a form of protection. And when she passed away in 2012, I firmly feel like some of her like extreme loyalty just inhabited my body as her as her spirit left her body. I was like, oh, this little part, we're going to just stick into Kimberly. Um, the rest, you know, we, we will see you later. Um, but that piece has, um, has always been with me. And so I think of, of loyalty, her loyalty and just loyalty in general in two ways. One, being on your team, being on your side, but also showing up in, in times when it may not always be uh, super convenient to, to show up when you don't know what to expect when you show up, but loyalty makes you do just that. Mm. The first piece to this meandering story begins, again, after my sister had already passed away. Um, This has nothing to do with medicine, but it was a a purely Deanna moment. We were in the throes of youth football season. And look, for those who 
don't judge me about my child playing youth football. Um, look, don't please just <laughs> do, do what you do with your kids. I yes. mean, it's yes. We'll okay. spare you this time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so we were in the throes of youth football season. My husband is a coach. My younger son, Zachary, if he could have been born with a football in his hand when he came out of the womb, he would have had it in his hand. <laughs> Loves football. And we had really like football season for us, especially in the youth years, like it, it was it consumed our household, especially living with a coach. And I just want to quickly pause and just reference for those of our listeners who maybe live outside of the United States. This is American football, not oh yeah, referred yeah. to as soccer. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, not the football is life, like uh, <laughs> like my boy uh, Danny Rojas says on Ted Lasso. No, this is not. Um, this is American football, the one with the pigskin and youth football in the United States, particularly in the Southern United States, is is a very big thing and very robust and big programs and leagues and everything. And we were playing in um, a really big league where my husband was coaching and. We were um, at a tournament one weekend and there was a coach that had kind of decided to antagonize our child while he was on the field. He had been a former coach of Zach's and he was like saying some things that were like not cool. And my kid was like eight or nine years old. He's like, man, you don't, you know, he's like, you don't know what you're doing. That's why you need to go and just yelling all these things to my son. And he had been a former coach of my son's, which I guess made him feel like he had license to do that. And he was like, they need to pull you out and yelling all these things to our son. I will say that I actually physically wasn't there when all of this was happening. It was just a, a thing that happened that was so, so dramatic that other people saw it. And um, my husband, again, who was out there as a coach, not my son's coach, saw it too. And so team went to halftime and everything. My husband, who, you know, y'all is from the east side of Cleveland and an army ranger and is afraid of no one, walks up to this guy and it's like, yo, I need you to stop talking to my son. And he was like, look, man, don't be mad at me because your son is, you know, he's like calling him sorry and start wow. saying all these. Like, it was really, really super rude. And he started saying all these things and kind of going back and forth. And, you know, again, this is youth football. This is a predominantly black league and it's a lot of us out there and it's late at night and people been out there all day and there's barbecue and there's other things that go along with barbecue. So, you know, (laughs) people are feeling spirited, fortunately not the coaches. Uh And thank goodness my husband um, chose not to fully react as he wanted to react. But, you know, he kind of raised his voice, told the dude, get away from him, you know, and don't say anything else to his son or else, you know, it's not going to end well. So, of course, all the other football moms, because, you know, we got our whole little group me's jumping and everything. They're like, girl, <laughs> you ain't going to believe what that coach said to you about your son and your husband said this. And we thought he was going to catch them hands and blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to two days later in that same tournament. We are all out there under our little pitched up tents in those little folding chairs with our little coolers and our little Zach's mom t-shirt, number six is my baby, you know, all that bullhorns, wow. full, you know, cause you know how I go as, how yes. I get down as a football mom, right? So we are sitting out there and this coach, he comes walking up. And on this particular day, my husband was on another field with another team, but he comes walking through there and he's talking to everybody and saying hi to everybody. And there's a whole line of chairs of us moms sitting there and he's going down the line shaking hands, whatever. Hey, what's up? How you doing? Oh, how's your boy doing? Oh, da, da, da. T- shaking hands. And finally he reaches me, puts his hand out to me. It's like, Hey, Hey, Dr. Manning, what's up, doc? Good to see you out here still. 
And it was like, in that moment, I became Deanna. I looked at him. It was a lot of people there too. My hands were still on my lap. And I looked at him and I was like, why are you trying to shake my hand? And he was like, what? I said, look, bro, you got a problem with my husband. You got a problem with me. We mm. are not, we are not cool. We are not cool. And <laughs> wow. all of these people are looking and they're like, oh, snap. Oh, snap. You know, right? I was just like, yeah, like, yeah, bro. I know I'm not shaking your hand. You keep it moving. So that's part <laughs> one. <laughs> that's part one, right? So now I'm going to bring you into the hospital. Okay. So we're in the hospital one day and we're rounding and this patient that was uh, in the room, we were, we were coming in there to see her and there was a consultant there with us. And the consultant that was there with us, we all kind of needed to talk to the patient at the same time. But the patient says, whoa, before you say anything to me, can you please let me call my sister? She likes to know what's going on. He's like, we'll call your sister afterwards. And she was like, no, you, you gotta, I gotta call my sister. She'll be very, very upset. Please let me just call my sister. And he, she's trying to call his sister. And he's like, no, you know, you've been there before where somebody wants to call a family member or yeah. make it like, like it's going to add a dynamic to the conversation that people just do not have the patience for, right? Yes. So he shut that down enough so where he was like, no, give me her number, we'll call her. And, and the patient kept insisting that that really was not gonna be enough for her sister. Mm -hmm. So I stand there, say my little part as the internist, but primarily this was a surgical issue. The surgeon says all the things that he needs to say, takes the sister's phone number and is like, yeah, all right. <laughs> I'll laugh every time I think about this happening. So the next day, my intern comes up to me and was like, um, have you been in, in I'm going to give her a name, Miss Jones. You been in Miss Jones' room this morning? I said, no, I haven't been in there this morning. Okay. Yeah, her sister's in the room. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, that's good. I, I, I want to I um, meet her sister. That's cool. And he's like, yeah. yeah <laughs> she, took the, she took the day off of work. And she's, mm -hmm. she's, she's going to be there all day. I was like, okay, I've, I've gotten on well with the sister because I had talked to her on the phone a couple times. So I was like, yeah, sure. So I go to round on this woman, go in the room with my team. Right as we're walking in the room, I see the surgical team. Mm -hmm. And the surgeon's like, hey, Manning, comes over to me. We start chatting. I said, oh, I'm just getting ready to go in there. He's like, great, let's go in there together. <laughs> <laughs> We go in that room and let me tell you, this was a solo room. She didn't have a, a roommate in her room. It was just a one person room. Her sister was posted up in one of the like bedside chairs. She had her feet up. She had a little blanket over her lap. She, you could tell she was gonna be there all day. Mm -hmm. And she looks over and I say, hey, you know, um, we had talked a few times. Uh, I'm Dr. Manny. She's like, oh, hey, Dr. Manny, how you doing? You know, whatever. She reaches out, gives me a hug. It's good to meet you, blah, blah, blah. I talk to the patient. And then the surgeon starts to walk a little bit closer. And he's like, hey there, you know, my name is Dr. Whatever my name is. And, um, you know, it's nice to meet you too. She looked at him exactly like I looked at that coach. <laughs> she says, what is your name? And then he says his name. She pulls out a little steno pad, oh looks God. at the steno pad, and it has that name that he just said. She said, oh, you the person, you the person that wouldn't, that wouldn't let my sister call me. 
And he was like, well, you know, she said, then you told her you would call me and you didn't call me. And then she was trying to explain to me what you said and she ain't understand what you said, which is why I said to let me be on the phone. <laughs> All the interns are there. The whole team is there. The whole surgical team is there. He's like, uh, oh yeah, you know, you're a tough cookie. She said, no, I ain't no damn tough cookie. Wow. She said, I- I'm somebody, I'm somebody that when it comes to me and mine, this is what I mostly remember more than anything else, the way she kept saying me and mine. When it comes to me and mine, I want to hear for myself. I don't want nobody to tell me. I don't want to hear a second, third hand. I want to hear what you saying to, to, to my loved one. So when it comes to me and mine, if she wants you to call, call me up, you need to let me call you. So, so he's like, yeah, well, you know, sometimes, you know, the hospital gets really busy. She said, I don't give a damn. She said, is your mother living? And he, like his eyes widened. And she said, is your mother living? And he said, um, Yes, ma'am. She said, you got any brothers and sisters? He said, yes, ma'am. She said, how many? He said, two. He said, are they living? And she, he was like, uh, yeah, yes, ma'am. What if they was in the hospital sick and they didn't understand all the stuff people were saying to them in the hospital? Or if they had the kind of personality where they don't want to uh, ask no questions because they don't feel like they want to bother you. Then you would step in, wouldn't you? She said, look, I don't know what you do with yours, but when it come to me and mine, <laughs> What you doing? What you telling me what you're not gonna do? That ain't gonna work for me. She never shook his hand. She asked no less than 750 questions. <laughs> she held his feet all the way to the fire, mm. blazed, blazed them up. So finally, you know, I was, I was kind of sitting there waiting to see if he would apologize. Mm-hmm. And he never apologized. Mm. He mostly just looked super embarrassed. And you could tell that it was probably one of these things where when he got outside of the room, he was going to say that the family member was crazy or inappropriate or anything. But what I saw was somebody who was radically loyal. It was like she was so loyal to her sister that she was going to stand up for her sister and be her advocate and have her back. And at times when she, when her sister was in the hospital, it was times when her sister was altered or when she couldn't really talk that well or anything like that. That lady made sure that every single thing said in the presence of her sister, that she was on that speakerphone to hear too. And I always, always remember that. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that there's some people who do not like confrontation and who probably think, oh, Dr. Manning, why didn't you just shake the coach's hand? <laughs> um, but you know, Sometimes there is a lesson in in that. And also sometimes I I think to myself, I want the person who stands up to me, stands up for me rather, to stand up for me even when I'm not there. Mm. I want you to stand up for me whether I'm there or whether I'm not there. And you know, for us as black women, there's so many times when people like stand, step to our side as allies and stuff like that. Yeah. And and they'll they'll stand up for you like when it's convenient, but when you're not there, they might shake the metaphorical hand. Mm-hmm. But that lady, that lady, <laughs> that lady taught me something, and I and that happened before my father was sick in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I will say a lot of her spirit I brought with me into the hospital when I was standing up for my father. Like, no, me and mine, baby, you mm. do what you want to do with yours. But when it comes to me and mine, that dog mm. don't hunt. 
So, you know, you could take the girl out of Inglewood, but you can't take the Inglewood out of Inglewood. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Girl. Wow. Yeah. I'm just picturing you just like standing to the side, taking that all in after y'all had that beautiful interaction. And then she just lit him up. And no. And she was so like, cause she had that little Steno pad. And I was like, hi, I'm Dr. Manny. She looked at the little pad. Oh, Dr. Manny. Yeah. Oh yeah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Hug me. She was like, oh, you the one. <laughs> May we all aspire to be on the right side of the steno pad whenever that happens. May we all aspire to be on the right side of the steno pad. Wow. But, right. but real talk for a minute, though, you know, as, as someone who is is passive and is actively working on my perpetual fear of how I'm making other people feel. Now, having had someone in the hospital as well, a loved one and recognizing like, how your advocacy can literally mean the difference between a good outcome and a very, very bad outcome. You know, I used to also, I will admit, you know, be that person who is really trying to focus on efficiency, wanting to get like what I had to stay in and whether or not the patient understood was something to be dealt with after rounds. But it's so amazing how quickly we forget as human beings, your job is not only to get your tasks done. The patient has to feel hurt. They have to understand what you're doing. You have to allow them autonomy over what's happening to them. And it's incredible how our system and the way that we, you know, run our educational rounds and, and all that, just that point gets so decentralized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing that was interesting about her sister is that she had on a work uniform, so you could tell that she was working poor. This was probably not somebody with a terminal degree of any sort. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. But what she had was a lot of love and a lot of loyalty in her and a lot of belief that her voice deserved to be heard. Mm -hmm. And I think what I've learned from moments like that is the reason why that interaction took so long and was so uncomfortable was because we, we didn't pay it up front. Because when that, the first time I went in there and the sister said, I need to call my sister, the patient said that rather, I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. um, you clearly, you clearly are making this very clear that that's something you need to do. I, I think that we end up wasting more time trying to save time. Yeah. Right. Because mm -hmm. those same people that you're talking to on speakerphone are the same people that help you coordinate a safe discharge. Right. Yeah. When you realize, oh, it's not really safe for this patient to go back home to their house yet. Oh, that same sister is the one that's going to take you know, her sister in for a few weeks or coordinate family to be there or get her to the next appointment. And you won't even know that if you had not built that relationship up front. Mm -hmm. So the other thing I, I love about what she did was just, you know, really disrupting the the power dynamics. And I wonder if that was also what was so an affront to that surgeon's sensibilities in some ways in which you're not really able to process what's happening because you're suddenly put in the position of having your power taken away. And I yeah. can't speak for yeah. that person, but. I mean, and you know, the surgeon did not have racial concordance with this family. Mm -hmm. This was a, um, a black patient, a black female patient and her sister. And this physician was a white man um, mm -hmm. and someone that is held in high regard. But I, but I think that, you know, sometimes people feel untouchable. Mm -hmm. um, and that lady didn't care <laughs> who he was. <laughs> yeah. All she knew is that on her steno pad, the person who would not, who did not call, because of course she called her sister and was like, hey, did the surgery doctor come by? Her sister said, yes. What they say, why you didn't call me? She said they wouldn't let me. 
And she said, what is that doctor's name? Mm. <laughs> God. And the other thing I, I can't help but point out, you know, since you, you did happen to mention, you know, the, the race of these individuals, it was also like, you know, when, when Black women, like, stand up and advocate, it looks a lot different than when white women do the exact same thing. Yeah. And so that also like has me thinking about, you know, the ways in which that is received, which is unfortunate, particularly in a healthcare setting. Mm -hmm. And I, I will tell you, it did not look at all like something where someone was going to fight. There was no profanity used or anything. But the thing about it is that it was just a firm confrontation. It was mm -hmm. not, and, and, and um, you know, while it may seem like a little bit of a, um, a kind of a tangent for me to have told you about that experience at that football game, it was it was the same kind of jarring that that was because mm -hmm. I pride myself in being amicable, you know, in a lot of settings, whether, you know, I'm in settings at work, whether I'm, you know, at a game with my kids at school or whatever. I try to be, you know, pretty easygoing and fun loving. And this this was something that like slammed the brakes on all of that. So for people yeah. to see me refuse to shake this guy's hand. But I was like, bro, the person that I love the most disrespected him and you about to try to shake my hand oh no 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 oh no 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 this there's a song that says this ain't what you want <laughs> and i will have to say if that song had been out then i would have been like bro this ain't what you want <laughs> and that coach i mean and that and that and that surgeon i should have tapped him on the shoulder and said hey this ain't what you want you need to go on and let her you need to go and let her make that phone call <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I learned a lot from watching that. And again, you know, we have to do what's within the realm of our um, own sort of comfort level and personality, but mm -hmm. it is it is okay um, to be a firm advocate. Mm -hmm. And it is okay to be loyal. And the best kind of loyalty happens in front of the person, but also when they're not there. Mm. And may we all aspire to be on the right side of the stenopad. And if we're lucky, may we have somebody who loves us so much that they have a stenopad. Yes, yes, with yes. The name, with, the, with the names of the people <laughs> <laughs> who about to catch this heat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, honey. Yeah. Um, well, I am <laughs> incredibly grateful for the loyal friendship that we share. Yeah. Dr. Manning yeah. is on several occasions offered to throw hands for me. Yes. Uh, yes. Thankfully, it has not been necessary yet. <laughs> but I sure will. And yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, and we know that um, we have had our own experiences knowing what that loyalty looks like. And it's mm. not always comfortable, um, but, you know, it's a it's a very empowering feeling to have somebody ride for you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so for yeah. those of us in who wear the white coats, make sure that we, we honor that for, for each of our patients. Yeah, it's real talk. Well, my friend, um, this recording is taking place in the space where my son <laughs> plays his video games. And he <laughs> has so graciously allowed me to sit in his space, but he is now crept back in here, as you saw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Said your time is up, ma'am. So the buzzer just went off for me, but you know, sis, I love you. And listen, if you need somebody to have the Steno pad, I, I could be that person for you. Mm -hmm. You know that. Yes, I do. You know, I mean, I, I really do have a metaphorical Steno pad already. 
Right? Yes. You, know, you already know. I know. <laughs> All right, sis. All right. All right. Love you. I love you too. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and The Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.